Today we are starting this new series about love and the greatest commandment, which is love. And when I made this series graphic, I showed Lauren, I was like, hey, what do you think of it? And she's like, it's okay. <laughs> I was like, I made it myself, are you sure? She's like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's nice. It's like, okay. But it <laughs> has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be vulnerable with y'all. Um, we're going to go throughout this whole month. Each, each week, we're going to unpack um, one of the meanings of love through the different Greek words used for it. Today, specifically, we're going to talk about phileia love. And phileia love is the idea of brotherly love or friendship. In my opinion, it's kind of like that entry level of love. It's that, that first embrace. And so often within church, we'll, you may have heard of these different terms like phileia love, um, eros love, agape love. And we kind of just like throw out all the other terms of love and we only just strive for agape love, which is the, the idea of perfect love, God's love. And we, what I'm trying to project within this series is that it's not necessarily always practical to give everybody that you meet the full possible love that you could ever give. <laughs> Y'all dig what I'm saying? And, and so instead of us just throwing out the practicality of these other meanings, we're going to unpack them and see how each different role and relationship that we have with people of how we can really love them. And love, it can be incredibly simple in one instance and then overly complex in the next. And we are commanded by God's word to love others to the best of our ability. In passages like 1 Corinthians 13, a chapter dedicated to love and how important it is, it shows us that it's the greatest thing that we could ever aspire to, love. Yet, we as Christians often want to move on to more intelligent-sounding ideas. We, we just want to move on to more spiritual-sounding things. And we check off love as if we already got it. We're good. We don't need to learn anything else about love. Let's move on to something more important. And I think that we often neglect many opportunities to actually show love to someone throughout our days because we are so quick to move on from it. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so today we're going to tap into love by focusing on the interpretation of this word, phileia love. And this word refers to love in regard of friendship, brotherly love. We are going to learn to understand the essence of this type of love and how it is this entry level of love for us to evolve in. And we're going to look at some practical ways in which we can show this type of love to other Christians and to other uh, normies. Unbelievers, right? We, because we often just separate them. But we're going to unpack what we whom we ought to be showing this kind of love towards. The reason that this topic is so important to talk about is because we often fall, uh, fail to recognize these beautiful opportunities to love others, even through basic friendliness. Everyone's met a, a type of Christian that seems like a, a Christian ninja, meaning that you would have never guessed that they were a Christian because of how unfriendly they were. Y'all dig what I'm saying? We, we miss these beautiful opportunities, but we... And we have become so busy in our lives that we skip some of the foundational principles of our faith, like love, as we try to build these castles of sand through our, our religion instead of this relational love that we have with our Creator. Without love, we are wasting our efforts and our time. Y'all feel me? 
So, to get us in the mood, I have a couple verses to share with y'all. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11, it says, Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was revealed in us. That At first, I that wind right now, I thought it was people in the back saying, ooh, I was like, dang. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> yeah. That God has sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, we're going to jump down, but notice how even the way uh, John is talking, he's calling them beloved, talking about how he, he's just so engulfed in love. John, uh, the one who wrote this, is the disciple who is known as John the Beloved. And he refer in his own book that he wrote, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And before moving on, I think it's pertinent information for us to understand that it's not that John was elevating himself by viewing himself as a God's favorite or something, but that he recognized that his identity was not based on how much he could possibly love God, but his identity was based in how much God loved him. Something completely out of his control. Something that is grounded in grace. Y'all feel me? Now, jumping forward, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So to get us, in the, to get us started, we're going to talk about brotherly love. And we're going to unpack how every person desires to be loved. This whole passage is just speaking again and again about how important it is for us to love others. Jesus describes that the greatest commandment, all the teachings and all the prophets can be summed up into to simply love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is equally as important to love your neighbor as yourself. And I find it as, as simple as Jesus has made it, we still neglect this aspect. I feel like we often either put all of our heart and effort in loving God and, and serving Him and make this religion out of our, our walk with God and neglect people, or we do the, the opposite, to where we make it all about our, our good deeds for others to where we don't even pray to our God. And we have to understand the sense of balance, the, the sense that we, we cannot do one without the other. Y'all feel that? And this... This understanding that every person desires to be loved, I think that we, especially within Christianity, we excuse ourselves from witnessing Christ to others when we feel like we can't relate to them. And, and especially, I, you know, many of you guys know that we go to the recovery center every Sunday evening and we minister to people who are in recovery and breaking free from addiction, things like that. And so often people will excuse themselves from from ministering to people in those situations because they 
they think to themselves, well, I've never really struggled with that, so I wouldn't be able to relate. Well, like, yeah, it's nice to relate and everything, but do you desire to be loved, though? Every human being desires to be loved. Every human being desires to feel a sense of value. And so we don't have to relate to one another on, an, on this meticulous basis of our interests or experiences. We all relate to every human being in the sense, in the essence, that we all have this humanity of desiring to be loved, to feel loved, to experience love. Y'all feel me? So if we understand this idea of love, it, it, consider this, that people typically give special allowances to family members, right? And this idea of brotherly love, we give special allowances to family members. We will move things around in order to make time for a family member who's in need. I, I, I hear stories all the time like, well, yeah, we, uh, my, my relative was going through a really hard time, and so we we went and, and uh, just stayed all night with them to help them. And I'm and like the, the extension of, of love, it's just, and I, and I hear about how it's reciprocated and usually that person does, didn't really do much for them and yet they're doing stuff for them. And I'm thinking, man, what a beautiful display of love to, to love somebody without expecting anything back. And people and family members will do that time and time again to where it just feels like this, this one-way street, but you do it because they're family. Y'all dig that? <laughs> and I think about these times where family members will even drop our plans for the day if there is a family emergency. If there's a family emergency, we'll stop everything what we're doing so we can help that family. We, we put our life and our, our calendar, our agenda on pause to extend ourselves to that family member. Not because they necessarily deserve it, but because of the relationship they hold to us, their family. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that we treat every stranger with that kind of importance. I'm not saying that you have to do that for everybody. But what I am saying is that we should take a small piece of that kind of love. Just get a small piece of it and, and share it with other people. Don't go all out. And I'm not saying to do something weird. Remember, what do I say? If, if you get an idea as a Christian, and it sounds weird, just stop what you're doing. If it's too weird, it may just be a weird idea that you shouldn't do, okay? You meet a, a complete stranger. Maybe you, you were really adamant and you found a, a homeless person and you felt so empathetic to him, like, you know what, why don't you just come stay with us? Just pause. If God really is telling you to do that, great. God bless. But let's be honest, that kind of sounds weird, right? You might be making a huge mistake. It, can we extend ourselves in great ways? Yes. We don't have to be so weird about it. We, that sometimes the simplest gesture. That Again, I'm saying, like, just, let's just start with that fraction. Don't sell everything that you have and go give it to the next, the, the next person you see. Let's just start with a fraction. Why don't you just not eat out that day and you use that, that 15 bucks that you're going to give and give it to someone else? You'll see how it's just like a fraction rather than this idea that, Oh, I haven't, I haven't gone running in so long. I haven't exercised. I'm going to just do a marathon so I can just do it. You ever meet someone like that? I'm, there's plenty of people that just have these big notions that they need to change. And so they just do the biggest thing that they could possibly imagine. And they get overwhelmed and quit altogether. Because that was a really weird choice to do. Let's just breathe, calm down, and understand that we have simply become so 
we've become so narrow-minded in our allowances. We've become, we've made that, that room for, uh, error, that room for any change so small for others that we often don't even make time for our own actual friends. Think about how many times you or someone else canceled their plans to hang out because it's just, when it got down to it, it's like, oh, well, I'm tired. We don't even, for our own friends our own friends, and we don't make allowances for them. Y'all feel what I'm saying? I'm, I'm suggesting that we need to loosen up. We've neglected the importance of relationships, and we push everyone to the back burner without realizing that we're suffocating love from ourselves in the process. We're wondering why we feel so isolated. Why do I feel so lonely? Why do I feel so anxious and depressed? We're cutting off our love as this river back and forth between others. And, and we're confused of why do I feel this way? We need connection. Now, l- let me be clear that not every bit of anxiety is stemmed from that. I'm not saying that all depression, that, but I'm saying there's a great amount. Y'all dig what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not downplaying anxiety or depression. I got plenty of it, okay? We, we share that. But what I'm saying is that there's a big portion of us that experience it because of the the Holy Ghost just came in, guys. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is here. <laughs> the wind blew the door open. But what I'm saying is that there's, I think that a lot of us are fueling that anxiety and fueling that depression through the lack of relational meaning that we have with other people. There is this, uh, a, a Pew Research study from a Pew Research Center study that investigated the connection between religion and well-being. Now, I'm going to read a, a, an excerpt from it. It said, in most of the 26 countries studied, Pew researchers found that being a regular participant in a religious community was clearly linked with higher levels of happiness. People who are active members of religious communities are more likely than those who don't have those strong religious ties to describe themselves as, and I quote, very happy. Wouldn't that be nice (laughs) to describe yourself as very happy? A new Pew Research Center study was found, and after analyzing data from over 20 countries, Pew researchers concluded that people who regularly participate in religious congregations tend to be happier and more specifically engaged in their peers who are infrequent attendees or who don't identify with religion at all. So this, this research study is simply personifying that the community within churches is so powerful that it literally was a, a, a recognizable secular gauge people's level of happiness. It, you're talking about in over 20 countries, and this is the, the, the response that they got. It's not like they were just going around the Bible Belt and people were just saying it because they had to say it. it this is a diverse study where they found this kind of evidence, and it's only, it's only affirming our need to feel loved in our communities. Which means... In the same way that I'm saying that we need to give out that love, that phileo love, we also need it ourselves. When we deprive others of it, we also suffocate it for ourselves. And so, if we can understand that community greatly affects our mental and emotional well-being, we need to 
we need to emphasize that brotherly love and we should show that brotherly love to others. Now, now that we have a grasp of what this love is like and how, how necessary it is, I want us to look at the practical essence of it. Really love them. Love is an action and a choice. See, love is so much bigger than the flutter of the heart. Love is not merely an ideology and it's not even a lens of perspective of how to view people. Love is, this, is able to be clearly seen and felt through our actions. Love is so much more than ooey-gooey feelings. And whether it's as simple as giving your seat for someone else or giving your last taco away to someone who is hungry, love is this tangible exchange that our souls can feel. What's, what's really interesting is how in our culture today, there's, there's such a proponent of being a loving person. It's like it's, it's, we've made this value of being kind and polite as being the definition of what love is. But just being extra nice and, and considerate and et cetera. All these little things that make us seem like this sociably valuable, uh, value-centered person. What I often find is that most of our ideas of love, especially in our, in our culture in America, is so shallow. It's where we say things, but we don't really mean things. We talk a lot about it, but we don't show it a lot. It, it's, it's a simple example. A simple example. And y'all remember, uh, of course, everyone remembers Floyd. And all of a sudden, everybody became a, a racial justice advocate. Which, again, we, we need that. I want, I want to make a point here about how everyone, there's so many people putting black screens on their Instagram profile. And when, there's so many of those people that when you were to ask them, how many black friends do you have? They had none. And, and it, again, I'm not saying that we, this is like our level of value, but what I am saying is to, to perpetuate that you're, that you care about it so much, but you don't even have one black friend. There's this disconnect. I'm trying to suggest that we, when we say something, especially in regards to love, that it should really show. Y'all feel me? It, we are not called to be shallow, hypocritical Christians. In fact, look at what this, this Bible verse says. Romans 12, 9 through 18. Don't just pretend to love others. Y'all see what I'm saying? I, that's the very first sentence. Don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil 
and do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, I feel like there's some like real bangers in this verse. Because just as it starts off with, starts off heavy, right? Like, well, maybe not heavy, but very straight to the point. Don't just pretend to love others. That's what I'm trying to talk about in that example that I gave. Don't just pretend, but really love others. And invest yourself in this idea of love. And I think that all, all, so many other components of our walk with Christ will go along the way too. And then when it says, when it says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, man, does that not hit? It, think about what that looks like for us today. You ever meet someone that's socially awkward? You're like, uh, he's the one speaking right now. <laughs> socially awkward. Or maybe they, it's just like you're trying to talk to them, but they're just kind of weird. You know, like they just, they, they just can't. Maybe they don't have good communication skills and it's hard to have dialogue with them. And so you just end up avoiding that person. See, this is, this is what I'm saying about ordinary people. Ordinary people. Whoever it looks like to you that if you were to see anyone with a subconscious value, recognize that and check your heart. Say, this is a person that deserves the love of God too. Y'all feel me? And when it ends with this, this thought, well, let's like honorable mention too. And don't think that you know it all. Like, why, how's he going to just throw that in there? You know why? Because we often make the most spiritual sounding excuses of why we can't love someone else. We, we, whenever we're talking ourselves out of doing something truly spiritual, we use the spiritual language. Of, of, of how we're just too smart. We're just, we've made it, we made this way for us to talk ourselves out of it. And it's actually more spiritual for us to not act spiritual. I remember this, this moment where my wife and I early on, uh, when we were early married, there's someone that needed a place to stay, was going to our church. And, and at the church that we, we used to go to, they had this thing like called connectors to where if someone, you know, like they would make an opportunity for Christ, and then they would go up to the altar, and when they're just, you know, like, kind of like this, like making this prayer to Jesus, and they become Christians, they turn around, and guess what? Someone came up behind you, was like, hey, let's go talk. And we're gonna, we're gonna have this, this right away conversation about your, the decision that you made, and we're gonna walk with you along the journey. You know, I won't get into like the, the details of how that goes more or less, but I, I went up to this person, I connected with them, and I took it serious. I really hung out with this person. We talked, became friends, and they went through a rust patch. And I said, "Well, you could stay with us for a little bit." And I talked to Lauren first. Okay, we had a, we had a discussion about it, talked about it back and forth, and we agreed. Okay, you can come stay with us for a little bit. Well, our landlord didn't like. First of all, our landlord lived underneath us at this apartment complex, and they didn't like that there is a stranger smoking cigarettes on the porch. And so they called us, who is that? And I was like, well, you know, and I explained the whole thing. And again, they're Christians too, so I was like, they'll understand. And they're just going to stay with us for a little bit. And their response was like, well, that's really nice of you guys. But you know what? Sometimes you just need to let someone fail. 
And so you have till the end of the week for them to, to be out and they're going to just, you know, some, uh, maybe you're just enabling them too much and they, they need to figure things out on their own. Doesn't that sound so smart? I'm not suggesting that it's a universal principle, but in this minute, in this moment, I felt in my heart, I would rather be gullible and naive on judgment day that I was t- too generous to someone than to be facing God and say, well, God, actually, it was better for them in the long run that I didn't help them. It was better for them. I would have rather, God, I was just, they got me. <laughs> I really just was trying to show your love. I'd rather be gullible than that. But we often lean on the other sides where we, we become so coy in our self-dialogue to where we talk ourselves out of even simple acts of generosity. Well, I would, I, there's this person on the street and I do have some cash on me and I would give it to them, but they're going to just buy drugs with it. So I'm not going to give it to them. We, we just so cleverly talked ourselves out of generosity, out of showing a simple act of love. And we do that time and time again. And so I think that's why Paul says, don't think that you know it all. And, and I think that every decision we make often has its root of either love or fear. There's like whole uh, uh, philosophical studies about love or fear being the number one motivators to a person's decision. And the act of generosity is often out of love, while the, the hesitation to it is often out of fear. And when I say generosity, I'm not just talking about like 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 giving money to someone. I'm talking about the generosity of your time, the generosity of the conversation. I mean, how many times have you needed someone to talk to you and you just pour your guts out, say everything that you need to say that was on your heart, They don't, and they, they just listen, and afterwards you're like, thank you so much, I really needed this. And they didn't even do anything. All they did was act generously with their time with you. This idea of when we hesitate, it's often out of fear that, that we're not going to see it reciprocated or we're going to see it as a waste. The act to serve and or honor someone else is showing love while the reservation to such acts comes out of this fear of our egos being humbled. It, it's, it's either love or fear. And the next time that you're faced with this unction in your heart to do something for someone else, no matter how big or small, I want you to analyze your motives. Analyze what is going on in your heart and in your subconscious in the simplest form. Break it down. Is this really being driven by love or is this really being driven by fear? What are my thoughts being driven by? Y'all feel me? With that being said, we have one last verse or one last point, And that is, who is my neighbor? Love those who can't love you back. Now, I, the reason I want to emphasize this, we, we, I'm not saying that we reserve our love, right? The thing about love is that it's often not um, finite. It, it, if you give a little bit of love here, it, it often retroactively fills. It, it just continues. When I show my kids love, I often am even more loving to, to random people that I meet. Because I feel full of love because of the love I gave my kids. Same way with my wife. When you meet anyone that deprives that love of the people closest to them, they often don't give any love out to others either. Right? This idea that, that, that love is this, this open source we could always pull from. 
it still sometimes leaves us with this notion when we get, when we think of that we should love everybody, it can come off a little too broad. It can feel overwhelming at first when you think that you have to love everybody. And you, you get to this place where you end up not necessarily changing the way that you behave towards others, rather than seeing each person as an opportunity to show love to, we end up just trying to work on ourselves. We just try to become more patient. We try to become more polite. And while being more positive is good, I'm not saying it's bad, we must understand that a slight general increase of positivity isn't love. That's not love. That's what we've often made Christianity out to be. Just being more positive. Trying to get rid of negativity. But love is so much more than that. While it is, it's, it's good to have an increase of positivity, yeah, but the essence of love is, is so much bigger. It's so much more powerful. And what I guess I'm trying to suggest is that rather than trying to love everybody, maybe you should try starting out to simply love somebody. When you love somebody, one person... I feel like that, that retroactive thing happens where it becomes that much more natural for you to love everybody. But just start with one person. Imagine if, if in your day, you know, I once heard a, a, a I've heard plenty of times like a Christian who, uh, someone comes to Christ and they make a, a mission, I'm going to share Jesus with, with one person a day, which is great. That's like super honorable. I, I feel like I would get overwhelmed pretty quick. <laughs> like, just like trying to pay the, Get gas real quick, like, hey, do you know Jesus? All right, great. <laughs> like, just, I, I'll start getting a little overwhelmed. But imagine this idea of like, this idea of, imagine if you love one person a week. You showed a genuine act of love towards somebody once a week. And I'm not trying to suggest that we need to make it so rigid, but what I am trying to suggest is that we shouldn't just keep going on with trying to be more positive and never actually loving other people. We, we, that we really need to get to a place where we stop neglecting this important aspect of love within our faith. Look what it says in Matthew 5, verse 46-48. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt IRS... Oh wait. Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. See, I think that when Jesus suggests this, he, He's saying to love those who can't love you back. Love those who can't love you back. And I think that one of the most powerful displays of love is, is seen in that. Is seen in the selfless act of generosity. Again, when I'm saying generosity, don't be confused. I'm not like, this isn't a a plug for us to do a, a, an offering right now. I'm talking about being generous with our time, being generous with our energy. Instead of just giving, uh, paying the homeless person that came to your window off with the spare change in your cup holder, imagine investing your time and pulling over, getting out and talking to them, asking them what their name is, showing an actual display of love by treating other people like human beings. Humanity. It's this. That's what I'm talking about. Whether it's 
towards a person who can't physically repay you or towards a person who can't emotionally or spiritually repay you to give your time and energy in love towards people, when we do that, we end up behaving in the same way that God first showed love to us. I think now that I have kids of my own, I understand more than ever when God describes Himself as a Father to us. I, mean, I had this general idea of like, like that's, you know, of what that's like, that, that love and everything. But when you, when you have kids, it's like, it's like, you, I honestly, when I had my first kid, I, I wondered what it would feel like. I thought I knew what it would feel like. But then you have your kid, and it's like this inexpressible feeling. It's like just the minute that that child is born, love is born in your heart. It's like when my first, when I first heard my baby cry, I just started just bawling, crying. Because it was like this, this like love was just bursting in my heart. Not in like a, a heart attack way, like a, like a good way. And it was just crazy. And I, I, when we got pregnant with our second kid, how am I going to love this kid when I already feel like, like I already love this kid so much? And then you just have that kid and it's like, it just is, this love is created. It's like, this is abundance of love. And when they were born, they, they don't do anything to deserve my love or affection. There's nothing they have done for me. That just, it just, I give it to them. I hold them because I love them. They haven't done anything that could, that could earn it or even for me to, to feed them. Like, just think about that. Didn't do, hadn't done nothing for, hadn't paid rent. Here I am spending groceries on them, paying for bill, buying toys for them to either not play with or break within two hours of giving it to them. And, and when it happens, what do I do? I just give them more. I just do it again. Why? Because I just love them. And to know that now I see when God says He loves me like that of a father, man, it's, it makes it a lot more emotional. Because I fully realize now that there's nothing that I can do to deserve it. There's nothing, no matter how good or a good boy I could be, there's nothing I could do to earn that love and affection. I'll tell you this, even when my kids misbehave, and my kids never misbehave, when they do, I, I literally am, my, what I'm thinking is, how can I still give them this cupcake while still like trying to teach them a lesson, but I'm going to give it to them no matter what. I'm literally trying to think of creative ways to still spoil them. And this, this overwhelming, like, I just need to love them. I just want to love them, even when they do something wrong. And to know that in the same way that we get our insecurities, we think that God has disowned us, that, we, that we're not good enough, and we haven't done enough, or we've done too much bad, and we make all these reasons of why God can't love us. And, he, and here His extension is simply saying, the same way I'm telling you to love others, I have already loved you. Y'all feel that? Let's bow our heads and pray. In this attitude of prayer, if you feel compelled on your heart, as I'm talking about love displayed, the greatest love is seen in Jesus. And as we all have our heads bowed and eyes closed, if if you've never considered the love of God being the number one motivating force 
for you to put your trust in him. The Bible tells us that the kindness and compassion of, uh, of God is what draws us to repentance. It's not this idea of hell insurance, hell free card through Jesus. It's not this idea of being afraid of what if I don't. But Roman, the book of Romans says that it's his kindness, his compassion that compels us to change. So the simple fact that he loves you that much, that genuine, unconditional love is right there for you. He sees all of the world, but he also sees you. And if you've never made your de- a decision to put your trust in that love and you want to do that today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. Now, right where you're at, I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself, that that's all it takes to start this journey with him, this relationship with him. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can have that conversation on your own. In fact, I believe that he prefers it that way. While they're doing that, if you're here and you feel like this message was just for you today, you feel like the Holy Spirit is ministering to your heart, maybe you even feel like God's been leaving you these clues throughout your week and you feel like this is like the, bill- the billboard that's affirming all of those clues. You feel like the Holy Spirit is just trying to speak to you something. If that's you, with every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. Now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you show these people your power and that you show them the, the grace of God through your love. I pray that whatever it is that you have been trying to show them, that you make it abundantly clear for them. I pray that you make it, them more and more sensitive to your voice. And I pray that you open their eyes to the, the special opportunities that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being a part of the Gravetop Church online community. I hope that today's message inspired you and that it made a difference in your life. If you'd like to connect with our church or if you'd like to donate towards our mission, all you have to do is go to gravetopchurch.com and find the Ways to Connect tab or the Donate tab. Either way, I'm so grateful for you being a part of today. Until next time, have a great life.